And so I would turn on music for entertainment, not just for my ears, but for my eyes too. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hearing in Colour with Matt Simon. Got a special guest today, which is Michelle from America, I believe. Are you in America? Yes. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Cool. So um, what's very interesting about Michelle's art is that she sees things in a very similar way to the, that I see them. Um, lots of people have very different um, impressions of when they listen to music, but um, ours is very similar. Like We'll start from a black background and then the sounds come in as like blobs of colour and then that's how we perceive things. So um, with yours, do you see the colours moving? As, um, yes. Yeah. So uh, she's got some really cool videos on our YouTube channel, which we'll link to those. Um, ideally, I think that probably the best way to represent how you see a song would be an animation, but obviously that takes a lot more time to put together. And generally yeah. when people, uh, you might be the same, uh, when people listen to a song, because um, all the parts are moving around, um, if you do a, a a screenshot picture of it so to speak it's pretty much just a snapshot so um it kind of gives an overall vibe of the picture but then for me if i was asked to draw a picture i'd say well actually here's the verse here's the chorus and here's the end section with all the other bits coming in so your origin story with your <laughs> color powers is this something you've had from birth or as long as you can remember uh, yes so i've had this for as long as i can remember uh i didn't realize that it was not something that everybody experienced until I was early college. Um, because it's not really something that, you know, makes me act different or changes how I see things too much to the point where other people would see me differently. So it never really came up. It's not like graphene color synesthesia, which I do have as well. Um, but in when I was in early college, I was playing the piano at home. Uh, I was playing a song that I had learned by ear and my mom was sitting next to me listening to it with her eyes closed. And so I asked her, what colors do you see when I play this song? And she opened her eyes and she looked at me and I told her, because when I play this song, I see a blue haze over the keys. And she was very confused. She, she told me, I. I don't see anything. And then that's when I kind of realized, oh, this is not a normal experience for everybody else. But luckily my mom was very um, open-minded. So she started to learn more about synesthesia herself. I didn't know that synesthesia was an actual word. You know, I didn't know that it, it had a definition or anything. Um, so then that got me kind of excited thinking, oh, maybe I'm special. I have this thing that other people don't really have. Uh, and then um, she passed away a couple of years afterwards. And then I started to take different courses in college. One of them was a psychology class. And they suddenly started to talk about synesthesia. And I got all excited and the professor put up a picture of a purple flower and he asked the auditorium, say, if I told you that people can smell the color purple, what would you say? And the entire auditorium just went, no. How many like, people oh. uh, were in that room? 
Over a hundred. Right. Okay. So you're Sounds the only like one. Over... Yeah. In a hundred. Is that great? Oh, so people don't don't really accept that kind of concept, which I, I mean, I can understand because if you can't experience it yourself and if there's no way that you can physically prove what you're experiencing, how are they going to believe you, you know? And so I got kind of scared and I just kept it to myself <laughs> until 2020 uh, when I started to go back into drawing music because my husband was, he was very supportive. He was like, you know, it's, it's cool. You should share it. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm like, all right. So that's when I started to do Twitch and uh, started to draw songs live. And that's where all of the images from my Instagram came from. That's where the videos from my YouTube came from. And uh, then DNCA laws started to kick in and I didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah. So I stopped, but it's, it's something that has been with me this whole time for a short period of time. I thought I was special, but in all reality, it never really changed my life or made me any more amazing than I already am, I guess you could say. So it's, I wouldn't call it a superpower. It's difficult, isn't it? It's if it's something you've always known, then there wasn't like a change. Say, like right. if you got switched on when you were thirteen, then that would have been maybe quite a turning point. But if it's, I think, um, especially for a lot of people, if they're discovering this or even sort of things within their um, sort of sexuality, unless it comes at a point where everything kind of changes, like that's all you've ever known. Mm. So yeah, it's interesting you said you there's over a hundred people in that room because I've read some statistics for synesthesia. Some say it's about four um, percent of people have it. Some say it's about 0.0 something and it seems to be that at least three quarters of women as well have it um but yeah I'd, it sounds unusual that you would have been the only one or maybe you the only one that had that form because uh, there's lots of different forms but um lots of people do seem to have multiple forms as well i looked through mm. a list and i've got <laughs> loads and um yeah so the grapheme color is basically where you associate words or words have when the numbers have colors and that can vary a lot between different people, but it's very consistent with the same person. And um, for some reason, uh, the letter A, often people associate that with red. It just seems to be overly subscribed to red. Because um, what's interesting about synesthesia is it's so subjective, the, um, like the perceptions people have, and especially with music. Um, first time I saw, I was talking to my dad, who's also a musician, like plays um, clarinet, saxophone, jazz and classical backgrounds and I was about 11 I spoke to him about it I said yeah do you see these colours when you listen to music and he's like what he was, <laughs> thought I was a weird kid anyway and that was like the last time I spoke to him about it um, but yeah you don't realise um, that other people can't do it because you just think that's how they're taking it in in the same way you'd assume that a lemon tastes the same to someone else that's just what it is um, yeah it's interesting you did it on Twitch so um, was that just you were drawing it live whilst listening to the the music yeah, so that was pretty fun. It was tiring, but it was fun. But I would play the song um, as I was drawing it, but sometimes I would have to keep going back and back and back to the same spot in the song so I can draw it as accurately as I could. The problem 
with drawing music, it the concept sounds very simple. You're drawing what you see, but it's not the same thing as say drawing what you see and there's a tree outside and you're going to draw the tree. The tree stays there for as long as it's alive, you know. But music doesn't stay. Sound doesn't stay. The sound of a saxophone will only be visible as it's playing. And if the notes change, then the color may potentially change or the texture may potentially change. Where it is in space will change. So you're drawing something that is constantly moving. And not only that, it's not just a saxophone. You have vocals, you have bass, you've got you know, drums and cymbals and all these other layers that are all moving, but they don't all show up at the same time. So it's, it's difficult to get a accurate representation of what you're seeing because the only accurate way you can do it is if you only draw one second. Yeah, it's not static, is it? It's a bit like mm -hmm. um, a dance or a theater production in the sense that, or a film, it's something you can't appreciate all at once like you can like a static picture. Uh, so do you find that um, in terms of spatial placement, um, instruments have um, sort of places where they live or does that depend on the sounds? Because if you have, say, a rock band that has maybe one or two guitars, bass, drums and vocals, maybe a keyboard, um, do they sit in similar places by different bands or different songs or does that change depending on the arrangement or the song? That would depend on how I'm hearing it. So if I'm listening through, through you know, earbuds, um, and if the song is recorded in a way where all the sounds are, you know, uniformly, not like guitar is only Stereo, played on the right yeah. speaker and yeah, such and such like that, then it can be a little bit more symmetrical. Mm. But say guitar doesn't only live on the right side, it can live anywhere. It just depends on how it's being presented to my ears. So if I'm watching a live band, listening to the same song, it may be in a different location. It may be farther away from me. It may be more to the right, rather than if I listen to it in earbuds, it might be closer to me. And maybe it's more towards the center. Or if I'm listening to it in the car, the space is different depending on the presentation of the sound. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and this is something that music production deals with as well, because when you, it's called like the stereo field, um, when you're producing music, you're trying to get it sounding like there's a performance in front of you. So normally the drums and the bass are sort of centered to ground it. And then quite often, maybe the guitar parts, I have one literally called pan, one to the left, one to the right, kind of spread, make it sound a bit bigger. And then maybe some orchestral parts would be dotted around and then usually the vocals are in the middle because you'd expect that the lead vocalist would be in the middle. So when producers are putting music together in that sense, they, they do think of this spatial um, space, <laughs> for want of a better word. They're, you're like trying to, almost like they're setting up like a, a scene um, and they're sort of putting things in the right place so that when it comes, and you have to listen yeah, with stereo um, or good speakers to hear that, if it's um, broadcast over the radio or compressed for Spotify or something, quite often this sound is like squeezed down into a, a squashed mm -hmm. format. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what they're thinking, or that's what people still do. So, um, I mean, for me, it's 
a bit like um walking through a forest or this like for me it's like quite surround expansive i'll hear a song and it's almost like i'm in that so the things are sort of like around me um it can depend on the production because sometimes there's a lot of echo and reverberation so things sound big and it sounds like a bigger thing whereas if they're it's a more sort of intimate style recording the things are sort of smaller um so with um i guess with a lot of people you don't get to choose the colors they just come naturally uh, it's what right. it is um and so there's one i was looking at um you've got uh beyonce and uh her vocals are this sort of big yellow um sort of shape um mm -hmm. within is for you is beyonce always yellow or does like different ways she sings does it kind of change the shape and color of how her voice appears to you it would mm, for some singers it is very consistent for others it will be different uh, for Beyonce, that was for the song I Was Here. Um, I haven't mentioned that song in a long time, so I don't quite remember exactly. But let me see here. I do have my, my drawings pulled up for reference. I did do another song of hers. I think it was Halo. Sorry, I'm drifting away from the mic. Um, but sometimes it can change. Let's say if her voice went higher, it might become a lighter color. If it went lower, it might become a bit darker, maybe like purple. Um, and if she's singing uh, sort of softer or more aggressively, um, like so she's belting up those high notes, does that have a different shape to if she's singing a bit more sort of like intimate? Style? Yes. So vocals, like, like anything else, uh, their shape, their texture, their color, and their movement can change depending on how the vocal is being used. So if you have someone with a, a bit of a raspy voice, their texture will be a bit more staticky looking. A bit rough uh, on the edges. Have, uh -huh. And uh, if you have someone who has more of a pure... A cleaner sounds, yeah. Cleaner sound, yeah. It can it can show up as a long tube-like object. Right. Um, does the size, like, um, if someone is say like um, an opera singer, like a big baritone with a big voice, does that do you see that as like a bigger shape, or if someone has like a really thin, small voice, does it come across as a smaller shape, or does it just again vary on how it's presented within the soundscape? It. It would vary. It depends, really. If um, if the sound is being, if the vocals are being presented to me louder, then yes, it would take up a lot more space. But if the quiet, if the quieter voice is also being presented as loud, then it would also be as big as the opera singer. Right, I guess, because if someone is an opera singer and they're singing with an orchestra, they've got a big voice, but it's proportionally sort of less of the entire sound, whereas if you have someone with a weak voice and just an acoustic guitar, it's almost like half the soundscape. Like Billie Eilish. So I'm not saying her voice is weak, but her uh, her vocal, she can make it very whispery, kind of yeah. airy. But the way that it's presented in the song, it is a very prominent sound in the songs. So it's not a little tiny little haze, it takes up a good amount of space. 
But it's interesting the way that people instinctively use uh, certain words to describe just even vocals or instruments, like uh, a trumpet or certain vocals that can be described as very piercing. Because um, it's got, um, it just feels like it's very compact um, sound or energy form that's, you know, pushing through like all the other sounds to become very um, prominent. Whereas um, some other vocal styles will get lost a bit in a large group of sound. Um, and it's interesting to think, well, on some energy level, is that how the way, how it actually comes across? Because sound physically, like just on a sort of three dimensional, it's basically just. Um, if you drop uh, a stone in a pond, you know, you see the ripples coming out. Sound waves are just basically just like ripples of air. So it's we can sort of hear someone sing a very sort of sharp or piercing note and think, oh, that's like an arrow coming towards my ears. But it's not. It's, you know, com it's compressions of air. But it makes me think that people use that same description so uh, so often that there might well, there must be something in it. Right. It feels... There's an illusion of it being physical. Um, I remember drawing a song. It was requested. It was a live song. I don't remember the name of it. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but the percussion in this live song, it felt, it was like a, like a greenish light or so that kept coming towards my eyes. And I kept wincing because I naturally you think something's coming at your eye, you gotta close it. But I mean, literally, there's nothing there. But yeah, exactly. in that sense, it's like, oh shit. <laughs> oh sorry, can't curse, no. No, you can, you do you do it. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it in some ways, not all the time, but in some experiences with chromesthesia, it can be something that interferes with my physical being i suppose you could say like most space. of the time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. most of the time if i'm listening to a song or just hearing regular sounds every day it's my brain can understand and separate what the chromesthesia sound objects are and what the physical you know objects are in the real world it can separate and say these are two different things the chromesthetic aspect of it the layer is not actually there that's just my own experience but there are times say if something catches me off guard where my brain will not be able to recognize the sound object as an illusion it'll recognize it as real in the actual space that i'm living in and okay. it's terrifying <laughs> but there was a time um i was in college again and i was i was going to go up the stairs of my house but as i was swinging around the uh, the rails to go up the stairs Somebody had turned on their uh, lawnmower outside and the sound of the lawnmower caught me off guard. And I just saw this very vibrant, bright red swoop with black stakes in it and yellow, not yellow, white dots on it. And it just kind of swooped across the living room. And I just 
stood there paralyzed. I'm like, what is this thing that I'm seeing? Because it, it's an alien thing. You don't recognize it. It's something that's not supposed to be there. So you but, saw it externally? Yes. Is that uh, a rare thing? or So normally the music, do you see it in your head or is that external? Usually I see it in my head, except for that one point, like that live song that I told you where it kept stabbing me in the eye. Uh, oh, but... so if something catches you a bit off guard, then you can perceive it externally if you're not quite sure where it is because the, what's it like, the multiple sensory inputs are coming in and then the brain is mm -hmm. kind of cross-wired so it doesn't quite know how to deal with it in the moment and then you just see this thing. Right, right. And it it doesn't happen often, thank goodness. But when it does, it, it is pretty scary. <laughs> but luckily, the object will disappear once the sound disappears. Well, the lawnmower didn't disappear. And so it, it kind of stayed there for a little bit until my brain was able to process, oh, this is not It's real. just a sound, right. It's just a sound. <laughs> so... It's happened. It happens. That was probably the most prominent experience of that kind of external experience of chromesthesia. There are times when something would crash and I would see an orange flash like on the side of my head and I would turn to look at it and maybe some pots and pans fell or right. something. That's pretty crazy because um, most people usually have one form or another, but if yours are like um, or sort of accidentally external, um, is that uh, a little bit worrying, just on a general level, that when you're aware that if something kind of scares you or someone jumps out, um, so if someone was in your house, like a friend that you knew was there, maybe they sort of jumped out from behind a corner and like, um, would you likely sort of see some colours shoot out from them? Yeah, probably. Um, most likely. I think the most worrying part is I used to drive a lot to go to college. I was going to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to get to college, I, I would drive, I would drive maybe uh, 45 minutes to an hour uh, just because of morning traffic. Yeah. Um, and so I would turn on music for entertainment, not just for my ears, but for my eyes too, uh, just cause stop and go. But there are times, there were times where someone would honk unexpectedly or somebody, I would see a crash happen and you would hear the crunch. And I would see some kind of color streak in the direction of where that accident happened. And it's hard to tell what startles me immediately, whether it's the color or if it's the sound, it's hard to tell which one came to me first. Um, typically, you know, the sense of hearing is primary, of course, to chromesthesia. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to say that the sound scares me immediately first and then the color, but it's hard to tell sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but I have, when I've told people who don't have chromesthesia about the experience of having, you know, sound and color. First thing they usually say is that sounds so distracting. And when I think about it, I mean, when you explain it, it does sound 
very distracting. You think, oh, there's color every time you hear something. And wouldn't that crowd your own vision? And you can't see anything. It's not necessarily how it works, at least not for me, maybe for somebody else, in which case that does sound difficult. Um, but the, the chromesthesia sound objects, I don't know how else to express them. They're typically very transparent for me. They're not right. very opaque unless it's the projectile version, the external versions. Um, but normally they are very transparent. It's almost like there's a filter over what I see in the physical world. Um, and I can easily ignore it if I needed to. So think of it for the sense of smell. Yeah. You throughout the day, you have there's hundreds, if not thousands, of smells that you that your nose picks up. Do you recognize each and every one of those every time it happens? No, because you can ignore it. There are other stimulus that are more important or more prominent, like the regular like sight and sound. But if there is a smell that is very strong, catches you off guard, like dinner or your hand soap or whatever, then you'll recognize it and you'll remember it. But if at the end of the day, somebody asks you, list all of the, the smells that you had throughout the day, you will miss 90% of them. Yeah. I think also it could be partly way of just um, a way of like systematically just organizing like everything that comes into mm -hmm. your sensory input. Um, I mean, things like some people, a lot of people think like, well, days of the week, numbers and letters have colors attached to them. Um, some people associate things with masculine and feminine, which is apparently a form, but I mean, depending on where you come from culturally as well, that could be just a thing. Like in lots of European languages, um, words have gender and things. So, and in France, it's literally like a small group of people decide, well, this is going to be that, this is going to be female, this is going to be male. And so like an apple is this and an orange is that. And for me, I tend to perceive that, um, like for me, apples are fairly masculine, orange is a bit more feminine, a bit softer. And then for me, dogs are masculine and cats are feminine, even though I know there are male and female of all of them. You know, cats just do look a bit more sleek and graceful and then... If there's a dog that is a female obviously half of them are it's just a little bit jarring for me it's like oh that's a female dog like it must be but it's like it's got a little beard you know <laughs> a bit more varying it's just your sort of way of sort of categorizing things so if your brain is wired slightly differently say so like well these are the colors i associate with this to kind of like systemize it and organize it in my own head in my own life it's just a way of sort of going through life i think yeah it's funny you say Apples seem more masculine and oranges seem more feminine. So I'm learning a bit about graphic design and the triangle shape, which is kind of loosely what an apple can look like, is, is perceived as more of a strong shape for strength, possibly for male. And then the round shape is more soft, more feminine. Right. So psychologically speaking, it's very fascinating. Yeah, and in architecture, the triangle is considered one of, if not the strongest shapes, just structurally. And then, yeah, rounder things are generally considered a bit more feminine and curvy. But it's, um, I think, 
there's a lot of cultural um what's the words history you know because people are going to associate different things like some things like the triangle like with a point pointed up signifies male and then down it's female um certain things um which could be referenced certain things but then um yeah it's interesting to play the way people think well this is male this is female and then a lot of the um sort of eastern or sort of chinese culture like the the yin and the yang like the the yin is considered like the sort of like more nurturing creative darker sort of recessive feminine and then the outgoing hot things considered more um masculine and i think i did an episode on this or a while back um certain drinks for example like beer is quite a refreshing cool drink so it's considered more feminine in its essence which is perhaps why maybe men prefer that and then uh wine is a bit more warming so it's considered a bit more or could be considered more masculine which is maybe why that appeals more to women but then interesting you could go too far with that and say well spirits have got just their own fire in them anyway um and i really like to drink beer but then i like to drink stronger and stronger beers so the beers i really like now are generally as strong as wine but i still like the refreshing ones as well but it's it's a kind of different drink because you can either have a drink like a wine it's got that warmth in it and you you want that otherwise it's not wine whereas mm-hmm. a colder drink is more refreshing so it's um maybe what you feel at the time and then different foods as well like um sort of mint and cucumber would be considered very cooling cold foods and then spices and things considered is it warming because it does warm the body but um again that could just be considered like a system like that was put together like well we've categorized everything in this way these are kind of like this these are like that it doesn't mean it's necessarily got masculine energy or feminine energy it could be just a way of um organizing the chaos that is <laughs> the world and just human society yeah i can understand that um i did draw your song and then the other two songs that you requested did you want to go over that yeah definitely i'm very interested to see what you came up with that and also because um i have my own perceptions of the song and then i was everyone I've spoken to is completely different. I've spoken to some other musicians who don't have any form of this and I'll say, well, what do you think about when you play this song? And they'll just talk about like the performance or the guitar part or how the parts interact. Whereas I'm thinking, oh, that note has this shape and I've got to, this, these notes look like a ladder, whereas they would never say that. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me screen share real quick then. Some things are covered layered on top of each other so it might be a little bit difficult no that's, that's <clears throat> good um okay so which one is this so this is porn oh interesting okay um right so yeah i'll put this up on the if you don't mind on the um facebook and instagram pages yeah, so sure. if you just describe it um there's it's generally pastel colors coming from the right there's a sort of peachy pale um, prominent is big orange, looks like someone's used a paintbrush and got some big orange stripes. Then there's some sprinkles bottom left. Um, but the general colour scheme is orange, very pale beige, a bit of pink and some green and orange in the background. And some circle, grey circles bottom left. So yeah, talk me through how this, um, or how you perceive this. Okay, so let's start. I'm going to guess that the orange bit is the main vocals. Not quite. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's actually your guitar solo. Ah, okay. It yeah, takes well, up quite a bit of space. <laughs> yeah. 
behind it would be your ear vocals. Um, it's being covered up a bit, but so your vocals would be the pale yellow with red diffused around it. Okay. And um, it's at the top right hand corner. Those are the main vocals. You have other vocals on there's, either side. Yeah, there's a lot in there. Mm -hmm. Those are the background vocals, the ones that are actually singing uh, lyrics. And um, in the top, top right hand, you can see a little bit of gray. Yeah. That, that is, is a sound that you produce when you are, it, it, it sounds like you're jutting your, your bottom jaw out. You go a little bit lower, a little bit more raspy. I was a bit more husky. That's, okay. It changes from this light yellow with red to that. Okay, yeah. So vocals, like any other sound, can change drastically depending on how it's being used. And that's interesting because when you sing lower, generally, if you imagine the vocal cords are like the zipper on some trousers, when you sing in lower notes, it's more open and there's more air coming through. But then for the high notes, it closes up. So there's, they're tighter and there's less air coming through. So <clears throat> it's almost like that's sort of being perceived as, yeah, slightly more raspy, but just more air and more breathy. Mm -hmm. Like the energy, so to speak, coming through is a bit more focused on the higher notes. Right. The higher notes seem to be more opaque. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then and in then... the background, there's the green, like orangey blobs. So those in, in the top, top half, you say? Yeah. So sort of in the center and then sort of about uh, 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those are are also background vocals, but they're the vocals that are that are not saying any uh, lyrics. Okay. I'd rather not demonstrate, but <laughs> that's those ones, those more uh, musical so they, uh, vocals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those are, that's those ones back there. Um, they are farther away, a little bit harder to see. I had to listen through a few times right. in order to notice them to begin with. But they are there. And then let's see here. If you look in the left hand yeah. kind of middle section, those gray circles. Is that the drums? Yes, those are the drums. Right. Um, if you um, if I were to take away a few layers and just show the drums, it looks like a face. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But just to let you know, and you probably understand this yourself as well, it doesn't flash looking like a face. Each right. of those circles will flash and fade on their own time, right? not together as a face. So when I'm listening to it, I don't think, oh, look, there's a face, but I'll see it when I draw it. <laughs> okay. And then in the bottom left, there's a, sort of like a khaki, sort of muddy green brown, and then a very opaque a creamy beige color. Bottom right. Okay. Sorry, the bottom left. Bottom left. So, um, the, by the drums, there's um, so that creamy splodge, and then there. Oh, okay. So that is also one. one of your vocals. Uh, it kind of looks like a like a 
it's tapered at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that is another one of your vocals. That is the vocal at one minute, 27 seconds. Um, it's one of the background vocals. I think it I know which one it is. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and listen. Was it, uh, was it a rose by any other name? Because that was um, just like is one sort of from the lead vocal, but slightly set off in the background for different texture. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Now, when I uh, when I'm drawing music, I do my best not to listen to the lyrics, primarily because my graphene color synesthesia is much stronger than my chromesthesia. So if I okay. start focusing on the words or the name of the song that might influence colors because those colors are separate from the colors in chromesthesia but because yeah. they are stronger they might interfere they, that's so. a very interesting point because you could perceive um say yeah guitar solo as an orange street on oh, no, a vocal as an orange color but then if they're talking about words that you associate with purple like which is it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very interesting point um okay and there's um towards the bottom right there's a, a vibrant pink element as well so on the right hand side you can't really see it the pink is part of another uh, another object there's a an airy light gray uh, kind of tearing puffs three puffs yeah that is the pulsating guitar it, okay, it's the first right. thing you hear yeah and then the purple purplish pink that part is a bit more of a melodic guitar part. That is that starts at six seconds. Oh yeah, because um, uh, in the song uh, there's a sort of a chunky sort of galloping rhythm, which is most of the sort of theme of the song, and then there's another one which is a bit more expansive and sort of spreads out, pull the tension kind of like in the opposite direction, almost got a right angle to that. But yeah, the, per right. the pink just looking at it, it looks a bit like a kind of sexy ribbon. So it's like almost something like a little bit sensual about it. Um, that's my first thought, but it could be the pink as well. Mm -hmm. That one was rather difficult to draw. Is it, it moves, it moved very fluidly, but it moves quickly. Yeah. And so it's hard to remember the path that it went to in order to draw it. <laughs> I think I mentioned it on the analysis of the songwriter, which is basically, so the, um, the story is about a guy who's sort of space alien who can time travel and at this point the he knows his destiny is catching up to him so the sort of galloping rhythm is that sort of like doom chasing him um and sort of helps build the tension and sort of for me it's I'm like i'm stacking up parts and then in the chorus it sort of flows almost like the parts are kind of like flowing over themselves in a much sort of kind of slightly writhing way but then in the verse you've got that chunky rhythm which is going one way but then as a contrast that it sort of spans apart to give a bit more tension in that as well so yeah and interestingly the guitar solo that is the one that's used at the start of this podcast uh, if you've listened to any of the episodes before if anyone has listened to more than one episode um yeah very interesting on that um and just one final thing the underneath the vocal on the left so there's that brown green brown splodge around um about seven o'clock Okay, so there, uh, 
check out the kind of a splatter look. Yeah. So that's the symbol. Ah, yeah, I can totally get that. There are two. There are two types of well. The symbol gets shown in two different ways. So this that kind of sharp, splotchy yellow uh, bit. That's the symbols more towards the the beginning of the song, the first half. Um, I think the symbols are like clamping together like this. Yeah. And then the second half, the symbols. Yeah. What time was it? At two minutes fifty six seconds, the symbols kind of change. I think they're being hit a bit more, so they look a bit more diffused. They are showing. They're they become more on the right hand side, and instead of being paint splatters, it's more. It's a lighter yellow, and a much more diffused, softer oval. So yeah. I think I think the drums, but with no hard edges at all whatsoever. You can kind of see it. it there's yeah, two of them on the right hand side. People will describe a, sh a symbol as shimmering and then in the sonic field, so to speak, um, because they are arranged around the drum kit, um, they will be sort of moved in left and right in the sort of sonic space. And yeah, you can hit them harder to get more compact sound or a bit lighter and depending on the, how it's made. Um, you get that kind of shimmery sound, or almost like water uh, with light deflecting off it, it's just like a sort of spray. Yeah, cause it does look like a spray of water. So it's um, yeah, I might I perceive them maybe as like um, because I'm thinking of symbols like physically, like what it looks like. It's you know, it's a metal disc, but then that kind of like vibrating or it's like rippling out. Whereas yeah, it's interesting. You've got like a spray on that one. Okay, yeah, very cool. Um, so let's move on to the next one. Okay, let me send that over to you. This one would be Summer of 69. So a very famous song by Brian Adams. And again, the reason I asked this one is I've asked musicians because everyone plays it and everyone knows this song. So it's, uh, ah, interesting. Okay, again, this pitch will go up. So it looks basically there's black background to start with. There's on the left there's a white cloud, there's uh, like a looks like a big dark blue rainbow across the middle, there's some purple and there's yellow paint streaks with green, looks like jelly beans. Um, interesting, okay yeah, so um, talk us through this one. So the first thing that I that I see when I hear this song are, is his vocals and that's the uh, the very pale grey uh, okay. Kind of rough looking bit with the gold outline. Yeah. That's what his voice looks like typically uh, in the song. It might look different in other songs. Um, I had to listen to it a few times because there was something blue in the song and I couldn't figure out what sound was making the blue. <laughs> <laughs> But I figured it out eventually. So you see that the blue band in the back? That yeah. is the bass guitar. Oh, okay. So the bass guitar actually has two colors. If you if you look very closely, there's a bit of purple just yeah. underneath to the left of the blue. That's when the bass guitar goes even lower than it normally right. plays. 
And that is that. The, the bright yellow-orange rough paint strokes on either side, those are the guitars. They're the first things that play at zero seconds. And then there's a bit of a, a guitar melody at uh, 31 seconds. Okay. And that is the even lighter yellow, skinnier, but still rough paint strokes on the right-hand side. Interestingly, the roughness, because Brian Adams has got quite a gruff voice, and then the guitars are quite sort of rough rock things as well. So it's, um, yeah, so like these rough paint strokes. Um, so the, the roughness that's perceived has come through as the roughness of the shapes. Mm -hmm. And then let's see, those gray ovals, they're still a bit rough on the right hand side, oh, sorry, left hand side. Those are the drums. Right. The, and so the drums, closely. you've done those as grey again, is that maybe because, it's just me grasping, um, because they don't have as much melody to them, there's less colour in them so they have shape, is that? Very likely. Uh, drums typically don't have much colour. Um, there are instances where they do. Uh, in the next example, you'll see. Okay. But typically they are... Um, light gray, more translucent in the back. It's it's interesting to me because I love drums. Percussive part is very important for me to enjoy a song. And so for me, drums are very prominent when I enjoy a song, when I'm listening to something. But when I see it, it's very small. Right. Sometimes hard to see. So it, it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition for me. And then these green spots, um, so there's some larger green spots on the right and some smaller ones on the left. Uh, what are these? Those ones appear at 50 seconds. This is what I'm thinking is, I think it's a guitar, but it's being influenced by a synth, possibly. It could be a, um, a keyboard part. Mm -hmm. So that's what it looks like. It, it's stronger sounding on the, the right-hand side than it is on the left, but these are kind of... I remember the direction they're going downwards I think I know the part you mean because it's um part of the song where there's a like a little break just before the second verse comes in like that bit yeah yeah and I also sometimes perceive that as like I see the notes in sort of structure so they're like descending if that pattern is yeah I know exactly what part of the song that is um yeah very interesting and then the last bit um it's rather small. If you look on the left-hand side, in between the smaller, there's two smaller green strokes. There's like a, a yellow splat. Yeah. So that's the tambourine. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Okay, let's uh, move on to the last one. So this would be Superstition by Stevie Wonder. And for me, this is texturally quite different because in Brian Adams' song, the guitars are quite thick. It's a rock sound, but in the Stevie Wonder song, a different production. Um, generally, the sounds are a lot less processed and sort of thinner. Uh, different arrangements. So this, the keyboard is a bit more prominent in this one. So this one was harder for me to draw uh, because. 
as you can see, the colors are fairly similar. This, and the textures form a little bit similar too. This is quite interesting because this is similar to how I perceive it as well. The um, So there's black background, there's some yellow splodges, um, looks like from a, like a spray can on the bottom right, uh, big bars of yellow, and there's brown, looks like sticks. And that's very interesting because the way I hear the guitar part and those kind of funky, actually the word funky generally comes from, um, or apparently, is a word meaning a bit shitty, saying like, because the guitar's a thin sound, like, and it's like a shitty sound. Um, and it's, yeah, I almost perceive it, it's not like wooden, but like, um, it's got a quite percussive quality to it, and um, like um, a short sound. So it's interesting, because I see some of the notes and the texture of that guitar quite similar to that as well. Um, so I'm guessing that the brown bits are the the guitar or the keyboard part? Yes, that is the guitar. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. That That's very similar on that. Um, I can see some <laughs> grey circles in the background. I'm guessing those are the drums. Mm -hmm. uh, and also these wooden stick parts, they've got some red on them. Is that just the colour that you perceive? Uh, that is That is part of the guitar and or a keyboard there. I don't know what is causing the red, but there is a little bit of a red accent right. on those. And um, the, uh... yeah, so the, the big swathes of yellow, is that just generally the sort of the sound and texture of the song? That are that those ones on either side, those are the trumpets. Okay, yeah, I forgot about the brass. So they have a bit more of a a golden yellow color, very prominent, very large. Um, there's one large one coming in from the right, and on the left hand, there's about three that are kind of layered on top of each other, yep. coming inward. So those take up the most of the of what I see. And then I had a hard time drawing Stevie's voice because his voice is very similar color to the trumpets. Okay. And it's also a bit more diffused. It's diffused, but in the center of it, uh, it's a bit more opaque. So you can't see it because the trumpets are in the way. Right. But he is up there in the top left hand corner. What I find fascinating about this as well is I also associate the kind of funk style with a kind of woody, golden, brassy colour, generally as a colour. And then the song is in E flat minor. It's often played in E minor live, um, which again I associate with a kind of like yellowy brown sound colour as well. So you've got some of the, the textures similar, like especially those guitar parts, and then the general overall colour. Um, I perceive it like slightly darker, but. Yeah, the colour is very similar. Um, I guess like there's a, a one in eight chance that the overall colour would have been similar, but it's very interesting that that is so similar to um, what I perceive as well. Right, and this is a song that is somewhat monochromatic. Yeah. The other ones were not. Um, and I was talking about drums being grey primarily. Uh, if you look those 
kind of yellow orange splotches at the bottom. Yeah. Those are also drums. But the drums only hit that color when they're being played quickly. Oh, okay. And it, it sounded like the drum became, for a brief moment, the primary instrument. But yeah, and the start of the song is just drums as mm -hmm. well. So they changed color based on their how they were being played and their prominence in the song. Yeah, it's interesting so that it's quite monochromatic because it um yeah, like a lot of funk songs, well not all of them, um quite often it rests on the same chord and they kind of sit on the groove and just sort of keep that going and then it'll change chord a little bit, like for the chorus. Uh something and for me some songs i find quite boring because and again i'll describe them as like the text is very similar or very monochromatic and some of the music i write i like it to be a bit more complicated just to test my skills but yeah things can get a bit boring if nothing changes it's just like you're painting a picture and it's just all the same which mm -hmm. is um yeah that's really interesting fascinating the way you perceive mine as well and trying to see how your perceptions of music uh, line up with mine and if there's uh, consistencies within it because again like your drums are sort of fairly consistent in how you perceive those but then um, the texture yeah those wood bits on the superstition that's again almost exactly how I perceive those notes kind of like falling onto my personal space <laughs> they're, they're almost like slightly rattly as well uh, slightly yeah weird. yes and sometimes when I'm listening to music it and certain sounds, like it feels like I've got my sort of personal space and personal bubble, and then certain sounds of the more piercing or like battly woodly things, I can almost kind of feel them landing on me like that. So, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Okay, so yeah, thanks for listening. This was a really, really interesting episode. Uh, thanks to Michelle for that, and we'll put some links to uh, we can find and check out her more work. I'll put these pictures up on Instagram, and um, we have an audio channel on YouTube as well. So. I'll put the video up and then edit these pictures in so you can see what's going on. So yeah, thanks again, Michelle. This was extremely interesting. And yeah, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Matt. I had so much fun with this.